how can I have spiritual integrity with my sex life, you know? And like, that doesn't have to look like I'm a fucking Puritan. So that's why I mean, I'm curious to ask other people about what their experience is with it, you know? What does their, what does others healing look like? everybody this is Ryan and this is Louisa and you're listening to sober sex I made a promise to myself to stop not listening what it looks like now is that I make conscious choices around my sexuality it started with putting down the substances really and starting to listen and the listening to my body has changed Sober Sex is delighted to welcome Ian McDonnell, aka Havoc, aka Playdate, to the show. Ian is the co-founder of Tastemakers Media, an exciting and important content creation and production company. He hosts the Tastemakers show on Dash Radio and is an artist and creator in his own right, in addition to working in event production, A&R and management. Thrillingly, Ian is a sober person, like many of us, learning how to navigate sober sex. Welcome to the show, Ian. Woo! I love like many of us. I'm like, oh yeah, we're out there. <laughs> yeah, it was actually such a nice thing to to hear that you had uh, time in recovery when I did Tastemakers. So we're so excited that you came on today to Sober Sex. <laughs> Before we begin, Ian, what are your pronouns? My pronouns are, you know, you know it's interesting. It's so... I mean, it's just him or, you know, it really, it's so interesting for me to answer that because I don't come from a place of that even, I come from San Francisco where it just wasn't, it, 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 it didn't need to be part of the conversation. Right. Um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I identify as a, as a socially as a straight male cool <laughs> if well, that, if that answers the then. question <laughs> yeah no i mean i think it's just like it's cool to have kind of as part of the conversation is not necessarily everybody we're talking to is uh cis totally that it can be an interesting and, and perhaps um compelling thing to examine for even those of us who identify with the gender we were assigned at birth i think i think it is so beautiful to ask Hell yeah. To well, ask thank the you question. This. <laughs> yeah. Are you Jewish? Because I feel like that's a very Jewish thing to say. I am not Jewish. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm a, I'm, I'm, I like to identify as Irish Scottish, uh, but I'm nice. like seven generations of Americans, so, which I don't want to identify as. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Join the club, my friend. <laughs> yeah. it's, not, it's not a good time in the world to be identifying Ooh. as American. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, so, uh, how are you today? How are you doing? Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I started my day off with a little, uh, little prayer and meditation. I kind of just connect to nature, and uh, and then I go to my playlist, which is called Combo Guide K A M B O. Uh, that's kind of off subject, but that's the name of the playlist, and. Cool. Um, <laughs> And I, that has all my music that is uh, mostly electronic music, but it's spiritual too, at least to me. So I'll, I'll find my mood within there and kind of start my day with music. So what was that today? Today was actually a song by Eric Sharp, a friend of mine. 
and it's, uh, we know Eric Shark, friend of show. Hi, Eric. If you listen. And you know what's interesting is like it wasn't – I didn't choose it because it's my friend's song. I chose it because it was the right song for today. And then I had – and I texted him. I was like, dude, your song was my song today, you know, so – a great record. That's so lush. That's beautiful. What were some of the early messages you received around sex and sexuality? Yeah, and you sent me this message in advance and it like, you know, I went through uh, a childhood experience in my mind. So here's the messages. Um, very early on, my mom, I remember my mom came into my room and out of nowhere, you know, she had the talk and she said, Ian, Sex is one of the greatest experiences a human being can ever have. Just be safe. Oh. And so it was very encouraging. It was very beautiful, you know. <laughs> Thanks, and yeah, totally. And um, you know, she also showed me like Clockwork Orange when I was 10. Uh, she took me to New York and we went to the opening of Even Cowgirls Get the Blues. I think I was like 11 oh. then. So, you know, there's this like super culty Uma Thurman was born with this thumb that she thinks she's going to hitchhike with, yet she learns that it's like the God's gift to the lesbian community, you know? And and so, uh, what was the other one? Like um, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Oh, so fantastic. Right? I don't so, know what that is. What is that? It, Hedwig and the Angry Inch is kind of like a... It's a cult musical. <laughs> yeah, it's a cult music. I was going to say it's like almost like an ode to Rocky Horror Picture Show, but maybe like more hardcore than that. Would, John, would, John Cameron Mitchell, wow. right? And it's about a kind of a trans um, rock and roller whose ex-boyfriend has stolen all of their songs. And so they're kind of destined to play in like terrible, tiny, like trailer park shows. It's and very campy. It, yeah, but oh, it's fantastic. I'd be happy to watch it with you, Rose. Yeah, can we? I think this we need a we need a watch of this. It sounds super cute. It's a favorite. Yeah. I, I don't know if cute is the right descriptive word. It's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's dark and heavy. But the the reason I say that is because that, that's so very cute to me. <laughs> there's the messaging right from my mom is like through film and through film that was very um especially at a time in america where like people were not that was not in the public view these are culty movies right but they were movies featuring you know lesbians transsexual like it was very inclusionary the message i was given and then in san francisco i go to high school and you know, the prom king, like essentially the coolest guy in my high school was a gay black man who was a ballerina. And that was so so everybody goes into high school like, how do I fit in? And in my high school, being this liberal arts public school, the message was that's how you fit in. And thus far identifying as just like a straight male it was like, wait, do I even fit in as a straight male? Right? It was, it's a very, so there, there's the messaging I got. It was confusing, but kind of the opposite of what is normally confusing. Huh, that's really, well, it sounds exciting that you were even given the opportunity to kind of question or like examine your uh, 
systems of belief around your own sexuality because like a lot of people just kind of most of us I think kind of fall into a mold that was kind of predetermined for us and you were given the opportunity to kind of be like oh my god look at this plethora of options (laughs) like that's great parenting thanks mom (laughs) that's incredible and you know my dad was not that way he was raised military so he was just not really part of the conversation but he definitely uh, it was clear that he, you know, had to be a man's man, right? So that's the message from my father, which is a great influence. And my mom's father, my grandpa, uh, who was very involved in my life, he was a closeted gay man. So we all knew he was living as a gay man, yet he didn't talk about it. Wow. Gosh, how did that play out? Like, what was what did that look like? He just he has like the classic story, you know, of like being um, just like in a marriage in the 60s and, you know, hiding. And then he moved to San Francisco and, you know, they're at the uh, supposedly his his best friend. Right. Was the organ player at the Castro Theater. And there really isn't anything like gayer than that, the organ player, <laughs> the Castro Theater. So, like, and that was, <laughs> yeah, that was hilarious. Um, he played my grandpa's organ. Um, <laughs> so, so a lot of messages in there. And yeah, and like you said, very like, I had a lot of opportunity to just like explore. And so what did that early exploration look like? I mean, I said, the reason I asked that question specifically is because the last time we spoke about this in any kind of roundabout way, you told me how you lost your virginity, which sounded kind of traumatic. <laughs> so, okay. You want to jump right into that? I mean, I also, that now transitions into the story about like drugs in my life. Um, okay. Which basically it's like, oh, drugs are cool. You know, like I also grew up natural born killers. I literally, I just want to like you know, eat out Juliette Lewis and then have her kill me. Like that would be the greatest achievement <laughs> possible in life, you know? So I'm like, you know, drugs are cool. It's just that simple. And in the nineties in San Francisco, I'm like, you know, I, I dress like a gutter punk, but I'm going to raves. I don't like punk music, but that's just like the style that I kind of jocked, you know, but I'm going to raves and, and meth was like, I, I assume that like meth to the 90s was like cocaine to the 80s. There was no me, not meth advertising. There was no like, we didn't see the public results of like long-term meth this use. Meth.com. <laughs> that, that didn't exist. So to us, it was just like, oh, this is the cool thing, you know? So at yeah. 13, we're like doing meth. And my girlfriend, we like, you know, took a month to make out and then we were rolling dirty dice so that we could get to second base. And, and it just Aww. happened. It was very innocent and cute. And alongside of that was like meth and acid and mushrooms and, you know, and cocaine and the whole, you know, and just partying ecstasy. And, um, and we just went on like a four friend camping trip, four of us, two couples. Um, everybody's a virgin and we separate tents and we all sat in one tent and smoked a bunch of meth and cocaine. I had 
cooked it all into one big rock and we smoked that. Oh, you're such a champ for doing that ahead of time. What a great guy. (laughs) (laughs) We were very, very innocent. We were in nature. We were were totally great. And we cooked a bunch of meth and coke. (laughs) Ahead of time. I pre-prepped that. (laughs) It sounds ridiculous. And and if a a 13-year-old kid told me that right now, I would be horrified. Yeah. In the moment, so it was well. just like, it was just like innocent fun, you know. It was like no different than someone being like, "Yeah," and we smoked a joint. Um, yeah, yeah. But then we went to our separate tents, and then we all lost our virginity. Funny side story is my friend's girlfriend. Later on, we found out she had she she lied. She had already lost her virginity, and it became this big controversy. But with my girlfriend and I, that set the precedent for what sexual experience is what you know it was like it was like two three hours our first time which that's I bet. yeah i mean if you're that high <laughs> so it was like camping trip virginity laws is very intense yeah. no it was very intense Jeez. and it just that's so so then i'm like you know that's what i'm trying to always that i'm chasing that that's a well, lot. No. Yeah. But I mean, it does. Oh. It also sounds like it was kind of free of shame, like aside from your friend's girlfriend lying about her virginity loss, that like, it sounds like you guys were kind of going into that without this like preconceived notion that like you were doing hard drugs <laughs> that would set entirely unrealistic sexual expectations for the rest of Jesus. your lives. No <laughs> consciousness like- of that. Yeah. It was a beautiful experience. I'm lucky. A lot of people do not have a good virginity story. I view Amen. that as like this beautiful experience. You know what I mean? It was, ex- it was as consensual as it could be. We were consenting on a level of like extreme drug use, sexuality. It was, it really was a choice and it was beautiful. Um, she, she later on in life, we reconnected and, you know, I think in our mid twenties and, and had sex and started hooking up again. And she was, right there at the same level of just like extreme freak that I was. (laughs) So it was interesting too, that her life went in the same direction of mine that like, it needs to be weird for it to be sex, you know? Wow. Extraordinary. And so then fast forward all of that time, what eventually brought you into sobriety and made you get sober? Uh, well, I I had some (laughs) dips in sobriety, right? It's generally not like a, you know, I just party bunch and then sober. There's there's some totally in and out. Awesome, and then I stopped. <laughs> yes, it's never that simple. Um, eventually, at 32, so many years later, um, I just I was living a life of a cocaine dealing uh, crackhead. You know, I worked at a. I would have told you at the time that uh, my DJ career had brought me to a place where I'd done everything else in DJing. So now I was DJing at a strip club because that's what I wanted to do. Uh, Really, you know. Great justification there. Great justification. It (laughs) worked for me. We love you. (laughs) Exactly. Like this is a choice, motherfuckers. (laughs) Totally. And, And yet it was like, I'm a crackhead and this is, I, I DJed for Mitchell Brothers, which is actually in San Francisco is a very famous strip club that that's a, that's a 
a whorehouse. That's what it is. You can actually, you know, can whatever. A sex, sex work emporium. <laughs> yeah. A sex work emporium. Thank you. Much, <laughs> much more polite language. Um, and Mitchell Brothers is like famous because they were like pioneers in VHS pornography. It's There's this great history there. So that also was cool to me, some kind of like achievement. And I was like working with this historical, you know, pornography industry underground beyond the law type of thing. Um, and yet it was just because I could smoke crack at work and, you know, it, you know, at this, at this time in my life, I think it's important to say this. It's like, I, I'm addicted to, you know, drugs and forbidden sex. So I like, you know, riding my bike to a public place and smoking crack and masturbating where I don't want to be seen, but, but the fact that I could get arrested or caught is what I need. It's yeah. It's what I need to achieve orgasm, which is not a healthy lifestyle to be living that chasing that high is very uh, scary. Yeah. Well, terrifyingly hard to keep up. I should imagine as well. I'm doing my best fitness. It was terribly hard to keep up, I should imagine. <laughs> Must have been exhausted. <laughs> no, but also I imagine that like the level of kind of um, intensity that was required for like sexual fulfillment, you know, the goalposts keep moving. And I know also even after we get sober, it can take a lot to kind of like rein that shit back in, <laughs> you know? So yes. I'm, I'm, I'm curious as to kind of, so it was so, it's, it still sounds like this was very much like, you believed that you were driving this car. Yes. Um, so how did that, how or why did that change? Oh, I just hit a place where it was, it was just it. I mean, my story is it just stopped working. Whatever drugs had done for me my whole life, I woke up one day and, you know, hit the crack pipe and it didn't do what it had done for so many years. And I was just lost. And at that point, it was, you know, I asked for help, which in it was, I did, spoke with my mom. You know, I got honest with my mom. I said, Mom, I'm a Coke dealer. I'm a crackhead. And if, you know, if you can't help me, I'm going to be, I'm going to be dead, you know? And she said, because she's a proper Allen on her, she's, you know, she's very, and she said, <laughs> yeah, well, if you yeah, if you're not willing to, you know, go to a 12-step program, then I can't help you. Amazing. And I was like, yeah. I and I was your mom rules. <laughs> <laughs> and in that moment, you know, you're like, uh, do I really want to do 12-step? You know, like, yeah, I want to kill myself. Yeah, we'll <laughs> Spiritual tools, patooey. <laughs> exactly. Like- so that was the, yeah. you know, now it's seven years later, seven years of sobriety. I'm completely, I like to say that, you know, I have a new found freedom, whatever this experience I experienced my whole life before drug use, during drug use, whatever that was in my mind, in my spirit, in my heart, I have a new found freedom from that experience. I am reborn in a sense. Uh, and I haven't lost who I am. Uh, you know, I can also share great, you know, extreme obscure sexual experiences in sobriety. Right. I think the fear of sobriety is that 
the that my my punk rockness I have to let go of that you know or that sobriety means like moving to the suburbs and getting married and <laughs> you know which if that's what you want to do no judgment but for me that sounds like a nightmare you know I think of like Monty Python and the meaning of life and like the 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 families getting stamped out straight into Disneyland, you know, that's just like the nightmare to me. So, um, yeah. But that's, that's so beautiful. Yeah. It's so beautiful. And it's so much in alignment with why we kind of started this conversation and this platform for this conversation is because we both were like having a lot of conversations, mainly with other women in recovery who were kind of being like, I just don't like it. Like, everybody else like like in this very kind of sort of what we term as vanilla kind of situation or way or whatever and we were like well Louisa was first of all trumpeting this being like you don't have to just because you're sober and I was like I equally need to shout this message we need to create a platform where we can have this conversation because I think people can get really wrapped up in this idea of like okay now I'm recovery somehow mixing that with christianity based totally. <laughs> virtues which is around like shame. total yeah wrapped up in shame zero freedom and like i know i wouldn't have stayed sober had i not known that i could still like do whatever the fuck i wanted as long as it didn't include sticking shit on my nose do you know what i mean totally i agree with that 100 percent. and whenever i speak to uh people considering sobriety or early in sobriety that's the message i share is you know, I, I, I don't like the book that I reference speaks in the male format, which I, I think there should be an update to that, you know, but it says the quote is we can go where any free man can go. I think it should be, yes. we can go where any free person can go or, or whatever it is. That was just their language at the time. That's another conversation. But um, that's the point is you get sober to achieve freedom, not to limit life. My life is limited by my you know, by my addiction, uh, sobriety provides me freedom. And that does mean freedom to do anything and anything in the realm of sexuality too. It, you right. know, Absolutely. yes, you know, doing meth and G like got me into some like crazy, you know, sexual dynamics, but that doesn't mean I can't have that same experience without doing meth and G. And in fact I have, and having those experiences sober are way cooler. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also, I, I know that it actually took me a long time within recovery to kind of like discover that or rediscover it because I thought I kind of associated like, like fulfilling sexual desires in a kind of like perverse way with, with my drug use, but like actually... <laughs> That like turns out that what I call God loves fun <laughs> and loves authenticity <laughs> and like is super down for the um what is that like the authentic expression of whatever that looks like right and so I think so much of it even though it can be like awkward and silly and totally weird is um like so much of this journey is like the the gaining of humility in that is actually just like learning what that is for you today you know and what a what a gift to even like get to explore that like we do um the the this like women's meeting before this that's about this like sex inventory and sex ideal and it, we every time we read like page 68 to 70 in the basic text of the 12-step program that we shall not name and um 
it talks about the uh, whatever our ideal turns out to be, we should be willing to grow towards that. So it, it it has this idea of like growth inherent in what we fucking do here around sex, which is like, mm. oh man, like I totally didn't read that the first thousand fucking times I read that part of the book, you know? Like That's what? so fucking incredible <laughs> that look at us like three sober people like of a certain generation and that's the message that we're going to be carrying forward as well. I feel really excited about like people coming in after us and being able to carry that message. You know, having done the work, nobody just say, well, you're just like unrecovered. And I'm like, do you all know how many 12-step programs I've had and went the steps? Because I'm pretty sure like I'm in line with all of that because I'm living my fucking truth. And mm. that's what sobriety looks like for me. And being a kinky perv doesn't make you a sex addict. <laughs> right, exactly. How is no. that just because I'm a sex addict? Yeah. I, <laughs> you know? I, I, I think um, one of the great, let me say this, first of all, more work to be done. My sex ideal, I still struggle with so many things of uh, levels of opening myself up, levels of honesty, learning how to actually ask for what I oh, want. Yeah. I'm like a major people pleaser. I can do anything, you know, sexually if it's if I think that I'm getting you to like me by doing it, right? Yet asking for what I want, ooh, that's that's challenging, right? I can, you know, give me some booze. I can tell you exactly what I want. Learning how to ask for my needs being met while sober—that's that's something I'm still learning. Um, I, I do want to say that when I, in early sobriety, I, I went to um, like a group and there it was about uh, sexuality, sexual identification. And the, the guide of that group, um, he, he made something very clear in the first session. He said, there is no such thing as sexual addiction. Now, it doesn't matter whether that's true or not. That's just what he said, right? He said, there is unhealthy sexual behavior, and that is chosen by yourself. He said, if you want to, if you want to have a partner that is HIV positive and have unprotected sex with them, and that's a choice that you're making, right? That does not define negative behavior. We have to understand that, like, within the realm of sexuality, there is no, you know, there is no guaranteed negative behavior or like the idea of like, you know, uh, sex workers, that that is suddenly in this class of forbidden or that if you want to like participate with a sex worker, that is a problem. That's not true. Yeah, that's and that was, yeah, exactly. Diagnosed, I guess. Yes, that there is a self-diagnosis in there, but that that a specific sexual behavior does not define problems with that behavior, right? It's 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 how you participate in that behavior that can define it as a problem. And and that was important for me to hear because like you mentioned the Christian thing, there when we think of sex, we do think of all these things, basically anything John Waters ever made a movie about is the forbidden things, you know? And, and if I do those things or I desire those things, is something wrong with me? Yeah. Right. I think it's such an important conversation to have also that it's like, it's not necessarily the behavior that we can pathologize, right? Like do whatever the fuck you want, like be a freak, have a great time. But like, if I think the like anything, you know, especially like anything that's a non-chemically addicted process, 
um, the idea of like it's the relationship to the behavior, not the behavior itself, right? It's the it's the powerlessness that defines the addiction, and I don't mean that in like a obviously in like a kinky self induced powerless way, but in like <laughs> I can't stop doing something compulsively. It's like the obsession and the compulsion that would define the addiction, not whatever you're obsessively compulsively doing. Totally. Which I, doesn't I yeah. get enough airtime. I don't think like we don't talk about that a lot. Well, it's a bit, it, 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 I think it really requires so much nuance and listening and mindful awareness that I think sometimes it's easier just to have like strong views, isn't it, about anything really, mm. than be like, what are these really subtle lines and what does that mean? It's so much easier to go into like a twelve-step meeting and being like, this is the way it should be, and everyone's like. That feels strong. I feel unsafe. I'm going with that. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Rather than being like, what does it look like when I listen to what's right for me, you know? And like, and that fucking changes in recovery too, which is really cool. Like, what great news, <laughs> you know? Totally. And I mean, also, Ian, I think it's it's important that we remark upon the fact that like, your discussion of asking for your needs being a new challenging thing in sobriety, like especially as a man, because we assume like we have a lot of conversations with other women about like asking for one's needs being a challenging thing that we have not been socialized to do really in any way, shape or form in any department <laughs> until very recently when there's like Instagram swipe throughs about like how to be an empowered woman. But like yeah. the fact that it's coming from, you know, like it's this white dude about you struggling kind of to, to, to feel comfortable and confident in, in being that honest and vulnerable is actually really refreshing. So thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, totally. really. Thank you. And, and yeah. I think, um, I think I can't speak for anyone, but my friend group or my surrounding, but I think, uh, that's very common among men. It's just not, um, there's, there's nothing in uh, society that ever, told us that that's we are allowed to identify with that right yeah, it's just we you to speak on it <laughs> yeah yeah we need to we need to dominate and take it right and we're gonna get it and get out you know what i mean <laughs> like, and that's just not i don't think that is really what the the common male sexual experience wants to be i just think mm. we've been told that that's what it is right mm. but i do i do like I find that, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a committed uh, monogamous relationship right now in my life for two years. And Congratulations. thank yes. you. Very happy. That's, that's value judgment, but like, that sounds great. <laughs> yeah. No. And, and, um, you know, I find that, uh, for me at least, I tend to, to be attracted to women in my life and the current one that, I play the more desiring intimacy role or the, what might be traditionally the more, uh, you know, stereotype of a feminine role of slow down intimate, you know, that I, I always fall into that role in these dynamics. And I tend to like very um, strong women who are, you know, independent, I, I don't know that that might not be the stereotype of a woman, right? So I'm also confused in my dynamics because mm-hmm. as a man, I'm I'm not allowed to ask for what I want or allowed to ask to slow down or 
you know, bring my emotions into the sexual experience. Yet that's what gets me off. Now that I'm sober, if like, if I'm not emotionally connected, I am not going to, I will literally go limp. My, my, to be very graphic about it, my dick will stop working. It will protest the experience if I'm not having like a deeper connection. So I can't even fake it. It's like, no, we're not having a connected experience here. I'm out, you know? Yeah, that's so beautiful. My husband is very similar and it was very shocking for me when I, like we started dating in recovery and he would say things like, hey, can we just like cuddle and like spend time? Can I? And I'd just be like, what's wrong with you? Like literally what's good to poor love? Like I was very new. And so, but it was so fantastic for me to like to be married to that person and to like be in continuous emotional conversation with that person because like that hasn't changed and it's such a fucking turn on it's like a beautiful thing so men any men listening like that's really nice like guys who like express themselves in that way I think it's so beautiful and like testimony to like work that you guys guys like you sorry I'm putting you all in a box now but (laughs) bear with me it's a really nice box there's like (laughs) cotton wool and blankets and shit but like um that you know I think that work is that work is so beautiful and there is space for it too like total space for it well it just struck me during this conversation actually that you were talking about like the level of intensity that you needed to kind of climax or to get uh excited in the past and I definitely identify with this that like um it was all kind of superficial it was all external and I think a lot of what happens when we get sober is that like (laughs) suddenly the emotional experience becomes the intense thing like Mm. to be in my body having a feeling and present like it feels like I'm on fire like 80% of the time. And so to kind of bring that into any kind of sexual uh, dynamic is that like actual intimacy, like true present intimacy with another human being is so fucking intense that it makes sense that 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 level of intensity is actually now required. You know, it just like, it just kind of um, like flipped on its head, you know, like it's now the emotional experience as opposed to kind of the externals that create the level of required. (laughs) Like, ah! yeah, yeah. No, to that point, I think like, you know, the idea of like, you know, I don't know anything about tantric practice, tantric, whatever. I don't even know how to say it appropriately, but I think that is like, that's calling to me because even the idea of like, you know, achieving a deeper intimacy through like breathing and meditate and literally breathing together to feel every single ounce of this. I want, I want to find, um, you know, I loved having like four hour makeout lead up to sex sessions on a bunch of Molly, you know? So I want to achieve that level of like super intimacy, slow. Uh, I want to achieve that without Molly. And I do believe it's possible. And I do believe it's possible even on a higher level because I will be present in it. Um, and I, I, so I'm, that's in my future, I know. And I'm scared to walk into some of that space because, you know, I'm, I'm there. I'm going to be there, you know, and I'm scared <laughs> to like, yeah, it's going to be real. And how do you how do you ask for that? I mean, this is where the you know, 
as a cis male, it seems weird because I, I do want to be masculine. I want to be my father, the strong man, you know, but also can we just slow down and breathe? You know, it, <laughs> there, there's some mixed messages in there. It's challenging. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we had a guest on a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about that. Like, I don't feel like straight white men are given enough of a space or just men in general to talk about like how difficult that is for them because like we will not achieve gender equality unless men are allowed to step into that female space either and have that kind of conversation. Mm. I'm thrilled that you're here yeah. and continuing this with us. This I'm, is great. I mean, I think we talk a lot about like toxic masculinity and rape culture, but I think there is also such a thing as like toxic femininity, you know, which doesn't allow uh, men to kind of have a, a fuller gender expression than just like traditionally masculine gender roles, like just being in charge all the time and not having any needs or only taking what you have. <laughs> it's just like, that's fucking boring too. Like let's yeah. all, you know, like try and kind of embody the best parts of everything on, on offer. Like what, what, what an aspiration. I am um, a, I am a, I have one of my closest friends and business partners is, the definition of toxic masculinity. And, um, <laughs> we won't tell and, him to say that. <laughs> uh, no, oh, no, no, no. He calls himself out. We have, oh. and that, so the reason I brought that up is because I am constantly, you know, he's constantly being like, man up, you know, and I'm constantly being like, yo, you know, slow down and connect. Um, I feel yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, and it's, like- it's very interesting to, I just, I just think one of the most important things for us, this is going to move into like social and politics, but to identify the, the people at, you know, in, so in the space of sober sex or, you know, um, the people that might be on the side of that behavior that is, we see as in the past or the worst or, or needing uh, wokeness to it or whatever. I think those are the most in people important people to talk to because they're still humans. The most toxic, masculine, gross, rapey guy, right? I think wants to connect. They just don't know how to, or nobody has ever, you know, had that conversation, right? I, I, so, uh, you know, and it's hard for me not to go into politics, but I do make it a purpose to like identify who's that, who's that person out there that I think is disgusting. I'm going to engage with them, you know, I mean, I'm going to engage with them. But to kind of speak to your more wow. political angle, because again, like we're not afraid of that on this podcast, clearly. I mean, we're asking your pronouns, et cetera. But um, <laughs> so to like kind of pivot to a slightly less intimate line of questioning, um, you've opened the door for this yourself, Ian. <laughs> um, and, you're, you, and you're drinking green juice. So you're like, <laughs> you're this is your fault. <laughs> so you've worked in dance music and entertainment for many years. Um, do you see attitudes changing around that accountability that you talk about? Like, especially in light of kind of recent allegations surrounding Eric Murillo and Derek May or I know that like DJ Rebecca at least in Europe is kind of starting this like hashtag for the music which is basically like the me too music of of uh, women in dance music right um and again not trying to make you like the male smoke spokesperson no. of rape culture <laughs> no <laughs> and we love your take yeah so um everybody everybody on this planet everybody needs their voice to be heard that's what I would say in, in everything. Right. And, and why this is also important is because those voices haven't had a space, you know, in, 
in the public view. It hasn't been a, um, that conversation hasn't been allowed. So it really needs to have a light on it. Number one, uh, from, as, as a man in the scene, right. I've been in the club scene and rave scene and right. And, um, you know, what I'll say is that, uh, you growing up in the rave scene and nightlife, it is a very, like what made it so attractive was how sexually free it was. And it really was queer. It was really queer before I think even that was like, it was at least in San Francisco growing up the rave scene, it was queer as fuck without saying it was queer. It just was right. And, and it was very sexually free and very open and everybody's doing everything with everyone. Awesome. Right. And we all know, as I'll say, as men, um, we all know that guy. There's a very big difference between the guy who is a quote unquote player or who or who has a lot of sexual experiences with a lot of women nah, 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 and the guy who is rapey. There's a very big difference. That is that is clear. And every guy knows that guy. Every guy knows the guy who in conversation says the things that make you feel uncomfortable, right? And it is important to not just for, you know, not just for women's voices to be calling that out, right? But it's important for us as men to recognize who's that guy. We all know that guy. We all have one in our crew and to call him the fuck out, that's what needs to be happening. Yo, bro, that, when you say that right now, like when we're all after the club, oh, yeah, she was hot, na 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 and then you say something like, whatever it is, you know, we need to it stop. Makes all of us uncomfortable. <laughs> exactly. And in that moment, we need to stop and be like, no, that is, you've crossed the line. And if we allow that language to happen right now, that is what leads to that language becoming that behavior. You know, and and then there's, right. you know, so um, I, think I just want to stop there because yeah. I feel like what you just said is really important. And I really want to highlight it. It's about that, like, how are we all playing a part in this environment? How are we all sort of co-signing this behavior? And I think it comes with like responsibility. And some of us happen to take too much responsibility and some of us happen to take not enough. And I think unless people do what you're saying, like call out the the vocabulary so it doesn't become a behavior, then we all in fact have a part to play in keeping this shit going. Like, and that calling out in that moment is actually one of the hardest things to do. It's all very well to be like after the fact, like, yeah, I fucking saw it go down and like, damn, that was, you know, it's just like, where were you when that was going down and you were like just being like, well... He's my brother. You know, it's a bit stressful saying something. You're like, is it funny that it's fucking awful when it happens? You know. So thank you for being um, an ally in that. Yeah, I mean, also, although I was thinking about it recently too, and it's like, how do we kind of have those conversations of quote unquote calling out in a way that's like not shaming? Because I fear that, like any kind of socially um, bad behavior like so often or, or I don't know often but my fear would be that if you kind of you know give someone a slap on a on the wrist or kind of address 
the way they're speaking about something, if if that makes the rest of us quote unquote uncomfortable, you know, like <laughs> when you talk about women like that, I feel really skeeved out. But like what the fear being like, what if they stop talking about it and the, the, the behavior goes into shadow, you know, so it's not only it's not even like above water anymore. It's just like kind of like creepy under the surface, like doing terrible things, you know? I mean, and and granted, like, there's not, this is a nuanced conversation. There's like not an easy answer to that, but I've been asking that question myself because like, how do we kind of, um, what is it like we punch up, you know, how do we like create more headroom? What does that mean? Like, how do we, how do we invite things into the light as opposed to kind of like shame people for talking in a certain way? So the behavior might go underground and it no longer be discussed, but it's still happening. Like, I think that's, you know, an important kind of part of this dialogue. And again, like I don't have answers, but I think to, to bring that question into the the forefront is something that would be important just because like, there's a lot of like call out culture, but then what happens, you know, like, um, kind of to, to make the parable about, I know this is a sensitive issue, but like to racism, you know, just because America had a black president didn't mean racism ended. It just went underground because people were ashamed of being racist because it was mm-hmm. not cool. And now that, you know, we have a racist fascist president, <laughs> no holds barred. Um, they're, in, they're in, they're empowered. Yeah, exactly. Scary. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's a great point. Um, yeah. And I do, and- I, I think it's, I just want to say this too, is I think um, it's, I think there is a, I look, I've always, um, you asked me what my pronouns are, right? I'm, I'm, I have done everything with everyone in my life. I continue to be flowing and changing. So, you know, I could identify as queer. Um, my partner in life, my girlfriend, you know, she identifies as queer yet she's only had male to female sexual experiences. So who knows? It doesn't matter. Um, What I want to say, though, is I do think it is very important for the queer community, the especially the hyper like masculine gay community and the hyper like lesbian, you know, like those scenes, those tight knit scenes. I think it's important for these conversations, you know, of me too, to also shed light, to also start happening in those communities. Cause my experience is that it's the focus is on, you know, rape culture in straight dynamics. Mm-hmm. Yet it is not exclusive to straight dynamics. And there's something about this queer community where it's almost like it's okay or something, or that it's not as intrusive or they, you know, and sex positivity so, be an excuse for bad behavior. Yeah, for lack of yeah, yes. Or something like the fluidity that you chose means that you have to just be super down for everything all the time. Like oh. there is no consent there because you've decided you're in some kind of different fluidity. Therefore, it's your own fault. Well, yeah, totally. Super excellent point. Like I think in a couple of our conversations and I think in media that's starting to come out, like I may destroy you or like a conversation we had with another uh, music industry professional that like um, the idea of, of like rape culture and queer communities is, is pervasive. And it's so exciting that right now it feels like there's an actual dialogue about like what sexy consent looks like, you know, for Mm. all of us, you know, not just 
straight cis people. So that's exciting. Yeah. I think sexy consent right. looks like, you know, I just, I, you know. <laughs> what does it look like? <laughs> it looks like, you know what, you know what I, I, I just want to say this. Here's a message to, to men out there, right? If uh, straight men, if she isn't wet, her vagina is physically, she's having a physical experience, which is saying, I don't like that right now. You know, that's something that's like a very simple because I have a friend that's like so dry, so dry. I'm like, dude, (laughs) she doesn't want it. Her body is literally saying no, you know, so even if she even if she is verbally saying, yes, there's consent there, it's you're still interacting in this like, you know, and I don't think guys know that. Like, I think people literally don't fucking get that or that. You know, for me too, it's like if I'm going soft, it means like slow down. You know, I just think that there are physical cues that can, you know, that can help us all to like, because sometimes, at least for me, it's hard to to bring words into the scenario. It's, you know, I don't know about the verbalizing a consent conversation can be confusing. I might be saying no in every part of me, but saying yes, because I don't know how to say no verbally and stuff. So, so learning how to, um, understand physical cues that are really, you know, I'm not, I'm not like a biologist or anything, but I think this is nature. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) you know, it's like some, some organic animal things are happening here that are telling you yes or no, you know? And that, I mean, Just to speak to that, I think that like you're super on point, but I think it's like, it's not only you, right? Like I, I I think that women are never kind of taught that that's like an important kind of biological phenomenon that tells us about what's going on for us emotionally. And also I think that like one of the issues that I've, I've um, heard kind of repeatedly in, in terms of like rape survivor stories is that like in a panic situation, the body will often get wet to avoid more pain, you know? Mm. So I think it's just to kind of like flag. Of course, of course. Um, and, and that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, somebody was asking for it, which is like, I think that there's a lot of kind of guilt or shame surrounding that because like, yeah, bodies are bodies are bodies and they hold a lot of fucking information, but none of us like male or female or whatever in between is, are socialized in this present kind of culture to listen to that, to advocate for it or to be even curious about it, you know, like, mm. It's it's a really complex um, and exciting like forefront, but man, like fuck, like I feel like every, like at least at least five times a week, somebody's like, "Do you know about the body keeps the score? Like how trauma is stored in the body?" Oh my gosh! Like, Actually, I have to read that, but like you know, the the it's I think the the reason it's coming up so much is because we have so much to learn about like listening to our own bodies and like you say, kind of paying attention to the signs that our partners are are giving us because that's like it's it's a it's a new language that like intellectually we haven't really kind of been focusing on because it's all like people pleasing or like how Mm. can i get what i think i want because i'm supposed to want it you know and also like i think that people often when they get into a place if they're i'm not just saying that everybody who gets to a place where they're listening to their body is depressed but if you're on antidepressants that fucks with Mm. things 
generally speaking. And so your body sometimes as a guy and as a woman might not react in the same way because of being on antidepressants. So when you're having that relationship with your body at that point to be like, okay, now I'm listening because I hit a crisis wall or whatever and I'm on antidepressants, you're like, but my body's not working. Uh. <laughs> like, why? Why is that? And just being, I think, I think always generally if you're in a relationship with somebody, you know, taking time, there's, you can never have enough time. Like, and I think that's really of speaking as a recovering person, both in the family programs and as a, as an ex substance use disorder person that I, um, I love don't, that. I love that identification. <laughs> Substance use disorder person. <laughs> Plus alcohol use disorder person. Is it substance? I'm trying not. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like we can't say the thing. But to, speaking around that is like the hardest thing for me to do is ever take my time with anything. Mm. Ever. Feel feelings, mm. birth. <laughs> so that in actual fact is like if I'm going, if I think I'm going too fast, I probably 90.9% of the time I am, you know. Did we just woman-splain you, Ian? <laughs> Hi, Ian. Oh, no, this, this is, is us. If it's, you know, if if the listeners could see my face, they would see me, like, you know, constantly nodding and smiling. I'm, oh, mm, yeah. Delighted. <laughs> I am. No, I am delighted. It's very interesting. I, yeah, it. You know, I pose a question to you guys, because you might have more experience in this too. How, in sobriety, how do you, um, you know, I like, I, I find that sex being forbidden or a sexual experience being like forbidden, it makes it exciting in its own way. Yet, um, I do not like the role of dom or submissive. Right. So there's like this, okay, then, you know, do this dom submissive play. But that's not, I don't want to define these separate roles as clearly as that. I've done that play. It doesn't do anything for me. It, you know, so for me, then to seek out forbidden sex, it's almost like it has to be wrong. Right. Or, or I'm, or I'm like, like, for example, in sobriety, there's, you know, something that is very forbidden. That's to, you know, use drugs or drink. And I, bottom line, I don't cross that line, right? So in my sexual behavior, how do I participate in forbidden or, or something that feels wrong because that is the turn on yet not cause wreckage in my life by participating in it? Oh, I so I think that is so so powerful. But I, I Louise is going to give you like the proper discovered version of that. But I just want to say I think it's a relationship with our lines that we cross because I think we have to look at that. Like for example, I'm. It's going to be really hard to speak about this without being like directly personal. So I'm just going to go for it. Sick. That so keep this like, thing out. <laughs> Like, whereas before, like, to get to that line when I'm, like, super fucking high and, like, that dangerousness, that that is so much further away when I'm fucked up. When I'm coherent and present and I'm in communion with my partner and the, in the non, we're drinking wine at the church, right? But, like, we're there together and, like, having a conversation. It can be, like, really just, like, a little choke, a little tying up, like... 
And I'm already, I can get to that place where I was before without having to kind of enter into, now you're Dom, I'm Sub, like, let's have a, like, let's divvy up the roles for the netball team. But it's not like that. <laughs> like, I think it's our identification with the line because we become so much more sensitive. And also the other thing I will say about that is I believe desire is a huge part of that. And desire we build by discovery and also excitement and suspense. So how do I do that through, and I can, again, only speak about that as a sober woman in a relationship, but like, how do I sprinkle that throughout the day in my marriage, for example? Like, how do I create desire? Like it's a fucking energy force. And how do I like work on that repellent energy force creating desire? Like, and what will I do to do that throughout the day? And that's how I have to look at it. Otherwise, I'm like, I can't, I literally don't want someone sticking a wine bottle up my vagina anymore. Like, and that's what I used to be like, super down for shit like that, because like, I needed it like fast, hard and furious. And I can still get that, but it looks different. Does that make mm. sense? Yeah. Tis my experience. I'm going to, I'm going to use the, the building desire throughout the day. I'm absolutely going to practice that tool. and. And Louisa, I'm so curious. I see you deep. She is, if you could only see her, she She's is, her, her chin is tilted up. Sure, her brain I'm screenshotting is this, you guys. <laughs> I am screenshotting. Can I have consent to screenshot Thank thoughtful? Thank you for asking consent, Rose. I'll look thoughtful. <laughs> um, How it. many drinks do you have? What <laughs> other drinks do you have? You're just pounding different kinds of green juice. <laughs> Oh my god, you have like a whole fucking mini bar of green juices. I'm so jealous. I do have my own green juice that I made. My own green juice that I made, and now I'm drinking a whole coconut. Coconut oh, water and coconut pulp. Damn. <laughs> the good life in America. Jealous. Organic. Jealous. Los Angeles, I miss you. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Go, Louisa. No, it's funny because I was like talking about this last week to like both that uh, – sex inventory group and my partner who was like I don't I don't he doesn't have it you know but we were watching Succession which I'm trying to make Rose watch. best show ever oh no I have, show show. Ever. Like, I have. oh so Rose I'm on episode two Rose I totally forgot to tell you sorry I'm in I'm in I just finished the morning show oh so. banger ooh. Uh, ooh, it's uh, so many talking points but so yes. you know like the character of Roman is like trying to make his girlfriend he's like i can only fuck you if it's wrong he's like trying to make his his hot girlfriend he's like pretend to be dead <laughs> he's like trying to make her into a corpse he's trying to like have relations with like his boss slash like kind of mother figure like it's he's all over the place and he, he's like it's not interesting unless it's wrong and i just i so relate and like granted i definitely find um like <laughs> My issue within my own recovery at this point, like, is <laughs> it's like I feel that I have reached a level of deep fucking like self love and self acceptance, and I like there's no desire that's off limits anymore. I'm like, I, you can have whatever you want. I fucking love you, like you fucking weirdo, <laughs> you freak, you perv, live it, live it up. And so there's no part that I can be like that's fucked up, like that. There's because it's like I don't ha I don't carry the judgment anymore and so now it's like in order to be wrong it would have to like kind of cause harm and I I'm not interested in causing harm you know so it's like it's a kind of um that that's not something that I I care to bring that's not the level of chaos I want to bring into my life especially because I know the repercussions of that kind of behavior for me do make me want to drink you know like um 
and so this idea of kind of the, the wrongness is now in kind of at least today and it might change is about like sniffing out within myself like the parts of my sexuality that I know exist but I haven't kind of embodied or haven't become comfortable in kind of playing out um whether that's like I I I mean my relationship is dynamic like I'm I'm definitely like very openly submissive but um, what, what, what that looks like in terms of an expression of sexuality is like, is only, I feel like I'm only just starting to discover, but I do think that what you're talking about is a real thing. And to start to examine like the subtleties of our base desires and what it feels like to kind of try out, not uh, different roles seems even too broad, but like different expressions within, you know, a consensual relationship that we're not causing harm in is is fucking intense and it does it's not necessarily like wrong as in like <laughs> masturbating in a public park <laughs> maybe getting caught but like but maybe it can be a game of like rose was talking about building desire within the relationship on a daily basis of like how do we do this as a team you know how can we kind of grow in this way together does it look like going to a sex club does it look like you know going to a bar just to fuck, like fuck in the bathroom you know like I think that there is so much. It's such a great idea. I forgot to do that. It's surprising. The like the extremes can be pushed in different ways, and like I remember that kind of during a first seventh step, that it became clear that like my sneakiness was a character defect because in previous relationships I had kind of like I love sneaking drugs, I love sneaking around, all that bullshit, but it was not healthy as a sober woman because it caused damage in my relationships and obviously no more sneaking drugs. So um, it occurred to me that now my my role in this life is to use that defect to like sneak for God. <laughs> mm. So to kind of be on like, and that sounds fucking lame and vanilla, but it's like, how can I invite like my integrity and my authenticity and my courage into this area. So it like, it can still be fucked up and weird and like quote unquote wrong or perverse, but like I can do it in a way that's consensual and healthy and playful and loving as opposed to just like being a menace. <laughs> Love it. Thank, thank you. Yay! I've got, I've got some, I've got some, uh, fucked some up practice. ideas. I hope. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ian, you're coming back on the show and then you can feedback on how you're like building go. desire. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I want to talk about, um, sex magic. <laughs> so, um, our recent conversations have touched on this idea of sex magic or the connection to the erotic as a vital, powerful part of some art and performance. What makes you feel connected to your own sex magic? Yeah. Hmm. Um, wow. It's so, and you, and you read that and I was like, this is, you know, what a, what a, what a concept to explore. Um, I'd say that, uh, I am very clear on what music, what, what sonics, you know, um, are, let me put it this way. Like I have playlists for, inciting romance for sexual interactivity like you know it's it's i am very clear on like which sonics are like allowed in that for me and which aren't and um and not allowed 
<laughs> yeah, well, you know, I just want to shout out like Portishead. I am not like someone who's ever, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really have. I've never been diagnosed with any depression or anything. I'm, I'm on the side of like the ADHD and Portishead. You know, it's like it's like longing love songs of heroin addiction is my interpretation. You know, and and yet I find Portishead to be like perfect. For, you know, the sex magic, inciting romance, connection. Um, and and what I also want to say is, like, as a DJ, uh, I've always loved, um, you know, like, ghetto tech. Uh, you know, shout out this, like, you know, little <laughs> three-year subgenre of obscurity. But what is ghetto tech? I have no it's idea. Ha- it's only songs about tech? butts at, like, 150 BPM. <laughs> Yeah, well, the the one song you know because everybody has heard is "Ass Titties, Ass and Titties, Ass Ass Titties, Titties, Ass and Titties." Oh, my husband loves that song. Exactly, everybody. <laughs> but, but Ghetto Tech, um, I loved. You know, as a promoter, as a DJ, as someone who has like chosen what uh, energy I want to literally promote and put my time and energy into, and create an environment where that energy is then compounded and and grows in front of my face, right? Sex magic. You know, I want um, to have fun with booty bass, with fucking twerk it, pop it, shake that pussy, pop it. You know, like very, very um, aggressive, you know, crass. Like the more fucking dirty it is, the better. And, and... Do that with a safe space, right? Because yeah, it's, yeah. you know, it, it, like now we're, you know, it, and that music tends to at least the, the idea of it is that it's the masculine voice, you know, telling the female body to do these things. And yet it doesn't, it, it doesn't have to be, I think music is open for interpretation, even if we know that it is that. It doesn't have to be that. I, so, I don't know. My sex magic might look very, you know, (laughs) shake it, drop it, pop that pussy on the floor. Like really, you know, because it's fucking fun and it's free and yeah, you know, and that's what, and, and I need that. I need to not take myself, especially in sexuality so fucking seriously all the time. I need like the whole conversation has kind of been about how do I, you know, intellectualize this and figure it out and connect. And, and I also need to like, just like let go, you know? So. It sounds really playful. Like, I mean, I've, I've loved ghetto tech (laughs) and, and I think that that like, it's, it's super fun. It's like super fun, super funny. Not doesn't take itself seriously. It's super misogynistic, but it's also like everyone's having a fucking great time. So I, I love that your sex magic is ghetto tech. <laughs> love it. Love it. That's brilliant. Shout out, shout out I'm, Disco D. He's a, he's a friend and he, uh, he, he passed away way too early, but I always like to mention his name because he, uh, is a very kind, you know, I've, I, I got connected to, Disco D, Mr. Day, DJ Assault. Like I've, you know, interviewed all these guys. I've become, I, I was very involved in the ghetto tech community back in the day. And they're all like not misogynistic dudes at all. They're all like really sweet, kind of actually like innocent, very like 
DJ Assault, he started this movement. He's like, I love my mother. Like he's like, he's like so sweet and soft and like not what you would assume that music comes from. So I just, you know, I think there's an innocent, there can be an innocence behind that, that music. It doesn't have to be misogynistic. (laughs) Pro tip. I didn't ask the question. DJ Assault made a song that's available on both Spotify and YouTube just called Raccoon. That's about people being afraid of raccoons. (laughs) silliest ghetto tech song of all time and it's like i'm afraid of a raccoon and at one point he's just like raccoon 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 raccoon, raccoon. it's like i'm putting it in our group thread i'll, I'll put it on, i will post this to social media wow friends. It's the i best love it sending it to you right now it's not love that it. sexual <laughs> but it's hey, who knows who knows sounds forbidden to me <laughs> hell yes um so to kind of get back to <laughs> to the uh, more um serious line of questioning of <laughs> serious of sober yeah. sex we are very we on on every show we like to ask our our lovely guest um what is your sex ideal so who do you want to show up as um or grow towards being in your sexual or romantic relationships um just it's simple honesty that's you know it can all just be based on honesty um because there is you know like the 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 space that i'm in when i you know go hide to watch the dirtiest porn that i love right alone (laughs) you know what i mean that that person in that space with that energy, I want to share that moment with my partner. And that's hard because that's my private little secret thing or will, yeah. it's really vulnerable. So, you know, my sex ideal is honesty. It's how do I, because I do feel like being in a, you know, monogamous relationship with a partner who I love, who I want to continue to grow with. Right. Um, I, I want to share every aspect of myself with this person and I want her to do the same with me. And I, and I, you know, I do want to find a safe space to literally in a moment where something pops in my mind and, and I'm like, Oh, you cannot say that right now because that's going to make her feel uncomfortable or whatever. You know, I want to move into a space where I can be like, Hey, Right now, this is what came up, you know, and is working right now. (laughs) Exactly. You know, the the real just sharing my whole truth, my secret private Ian truth with my partner. That's what I'd like. That's my sex ideal. Honestly. That's so beautiful. beautiful. I love it. Hell yeah. So you're awesome. We're moving. Let's move in to the lightning, lightning, lightning round. I love it. Lightning. Okay. So Ian. What was the last great book you read or series you watched? Uh, 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 um, oh my God. I just want to, I don't, I don't read books. Um, <laughs> so serious. <laughs> <laughs> let's just, let's just shout out. Uh, what's the one you said? I always forget the name Succession? of it. I, you know, that's not the last <laughs> great thing I watched, but I just want to shout out Succession again. And I just, I'll, I know this isn't very lightning of me, but I just want to say he has this one line where he, he he says, "Why would you, why would you, uh, why would you uh, 
Ah, oh, fuck it. I can't remember what it is. It's about, it's a, don't you want to feed the horse from the mouth rather than eating the shit, you know, that, that, that money is the feeding that. and that the shit is the politics. Oh, wow. Always. Yes. <sighs> Love that. <laughs> what song brings you joy today? What song brought me joy today? Oh, shout out Eric Sharp. I got to pull up the name of it right now. Um, I mean, I could... I could tell you a thousand songs, but Someplace I Call My Own by Eric Sharp. Oh, Eric Sharp, Someplace I Call My Home. Beautiful. I love that. Beautiful. What's your favorite sandwich? <laughs> PB&J. Great choice. More, yes. more peanut butter than jelly. You have to be heavy on the peanut butter. And I actually lightly toast the bread, put, put butter on it, vegan butter, add a little salt on top of that, and then peanut butter and jelly. You're Dream. a pro. Do they not put salt in vegan butter? That really worries me. Yes. <laughs> Why Welcome would they not hell, do Rose. that? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Being a vegan sounds terrible. Um, when you feel you need to break out of routines or shake things up, what's your go-to get loose activity or action? Break out of routines, think, shake things up. I'm like smoking a cigarette. Uh, I do that about 20 times a day to shake out of my routine. Um, but, but then again, then that is my routine. Um, I don't know, travel, like, of course, just get in the fuck out. (laughs) R.I.P. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty like habitual, you know, I do identify as an addict. So (laughs) anything anything that I like break up my routine with, you know, then I'm like, oh yeah, I want to do this forever all the time. (laughs) To be fair, it's kind of an unfair question because I have no, I'm like, what? I I don't like shaking up my routine. Don't ask me that. (laughs) I love shaking up my routine. It's my favorite thing ever. Oh god, don't oh, god. fucking do that. Oh, god. I'll tell you what I do to break out my routine well, routine. Sometimes I'll have <laughs> Yeah, that's so true. I totally do that all the time. I'll put on something like really weird, like Sean Paul or something. Like something that's like not really like it appeals to like a secret part of me that I'll never like normally put on. You and just be, like, <laughs> are you are you gonna shake that together. with your husband? <laughs> just I love little Sean Paul. I, not, if there was any opportunity to participate in shaming in the show, it would be now. <laughs> no. Oh, my God. Oh, no. No shaming. Listen, he may say bad things, but the thing is that he knows how about baselines. <laughs> he knows how about baselines. What? I'm not a musician. I play the flute. Carry on. What do you love? What do I love? Myself. Mm. You know what the, the, you know, what do I love? I love music. Uh, I love art that I believe I could not create. I do not respect art that I believe I could create. Maybe there's a challenge with that, but if I look at it and go, I could do that. I'm like, eh, you suck. Um, (laughs) Fuck you, uh, Rothko. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Get the fuck out of here. (laughs) Don't just Rothko. I've got a thing about him. I love, you know, I love being, I love my relationship with my daughter. I love my daughter, but (gasps) but I love my relationship with my daughter and being a father. 
that's, I really, that is one of the greatest joys in my life. This is the most beautiful thing ever. And I can't believe we haven't talked about you being a dad. That really sucks. I'll have to have you back. (laughs) You'll have to come back and talk about being a dad. I'll I'll tell you, lightning around the conversation very quickly. It's this simple. Okay, this do simple. it. The reins are in your hands. <laughs> do it. I'm just, just going to tell you. She, you know, it was time to have the sex conversation. And I started bringing it up in the car. And she turns to me and goes, Dad, I've already talked about this with Mom. I know everything about sex. I know more than you. So don't you dare open your mouth right now. We're not having this conversation. And that was it. That's <laughs> incredible. Okay. <laughs> cool. We like I'm doing the podcast. I'm so obsessed, don't you know? <laughs> so awesome. Amazing, amazing. So oh, Ian, you have been so fucking flipping fantastic. Thank you for joining us. Where can people find you? If you want them to find you on the internet. Oh yeah. <laughs> find me Ian I A N dot C E O on Instagram. That's the only uh social media platform that I kind of participate on. Uh, you could also go to my company's website, tastemakersmedia.com, tastemakersmedia.com. We fantastic have tons content. of fantastic content. Louisa, if you want to hear her in her other persona, you know, her other life, uh, you can listen to her on there. And thank you. Thank you. Uh, you know what? I was about to say thank you, ladies, so much, but I'm like, now I feel like I need to ask the pronoun question. Um, thank you both. She, her is good for both of us. Thank you both so much for for including me in this and 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 just for doing this. I think this is an important conversation. That needs to be had.